around, you may see there's a few more guys maybe than normal, or actually maybe a few less guys, because we have our women's retreat this weekend. Thanks, worship team, by the way. Thanks, guys. Um, and so we had 52 women who are away on retreat at uh, some hot springs place. Apparently, for many of them, it's the first time at hot springs, and the, the most common comment is, it smells like rotten eggs, but it, but it really feels good. And... Uh, but so that's where they are. So any men who came with their kids this morning and whose wife is away at, a, at the women's retreat, I applaud you. Well done. Yeah. And uh, I realized last night about 10.30 that my son and I had not eaten anything for dinner. So I went to Burger King and it was, it was fine. But, but the good thing about this is Rona is not here this morning. And so I can say anything I want. I can use her in any illustrations. So I'm going to take full advantage of that. And somehow her internet will not be working later today when she wants to listen to it. Um, so anyone who's been here for any length of time was probably familiar with our mission statement, which is to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus, to love people, and to do good. And we do take that very seriously. And we are trying to really hone everything that we do uh, as, a, as an outpouring of those statements. Uh, and if there's something that maybe arises that we're doing that does not carry out that mission then, we're going to set it aside. Uh, we don't want to put resources or time or energy into things that don't support what we believe God has called us to do. Um, and I think uh, the question would be, like, how do we actually do that? How do we live into that mission? Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that the, the way we would try to do it is to understand what that means, uh, to gain knowledge and understanding of what it means to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus, to love people, and to do good. Um, because if, if it could be really, for many of us, it could mean anything. Your very first kind of brush with that mission statement could lead to all manner of things. And this is a slightly exaggerated uh, example, but possibly this. So be transformed in the Holy Spirit. So it becomes super spiritual, like this gentleman. Okay, he is a spiritual man. Does anyone know who that guy is? He's on YouTube a lot. He's got the candles and the, the, the you know, the bowl and uh, the whatever else he's got going on there. Um, so to, to follow Jesus, so it's to be like Jesus. So we dress like Jesus, right? You can go into any, you know, party supply store. And like, now I'm following Jesus because I'm following him in his wear, his clothing at least, uh, to love people. What does that mean? So you love people. You're just that person that just, how long do these embraces usually last? Because I got to go, right? So you just, you're just way, way too, like, this is what you think love. It's just that, you know, I'm loving people. I'm just hugging everybody all the time. And that's what it means. Uh, and then to do good, adopting lots of cats from the shelter. I want all the cats. No cat will remain homeless when I'm around because I'm, I'm doing good. This is what I think it means. So slightly exaggerated, but it really does have, a, it brings up the point, like what does it mean to do these things? And, and really it could mean whatever we think it might mean. Um, so let's think about it. What are the questions? Who is the Holy Spirit would be one thing to ask. We just don't kind of assume that people would know, or even we would know, who the Holy Spirit is. There's been a lot of weird or bizarre or unhelpful teaching about the Holy Spirit. What might we expect from our interactions with him or her or it? I mean, there's been all kinds of permutations of that. The Holy Ghost. I remember hearing the Holy Ghost, and I really, my first thought came to mind was a Halloween sheet holes cut out, some kind of weird, mysterious, scary force. Who is Jesus and how can we follow him? What has he accomplished? What is he doing now, if anything, 
How can I decide what it means to follow him when he lived well over 2,000 years ago in a completely different culture? What does that mean, follow Jesus? And where are the Jesus and the Spirit? Was there a relationship to God? Because that's really, ultimately, the kind of goal is about God, trying to connect with God. Somehow, we just sense that that's important in human life and so we try and figure out what it is. What does the Christian tradition tell us about these things? And what people are we supposed to love? And what is love? It's pretty foundational stuff. What is good? People have been debating and arguing about that for centuries, for millennia. What is good? What does it mean to do good? So I think it's obvious that we need to increase our understanding in order to more fully live into this mission statement. You know, in the Western world, we are very tied to one particular kind of understanding or learning, and it's very much about the intellect. Through the way that our history has gone in the West, we're really all about knowing uh, in the head. And it could be a big problem. Um, because if we are to become full, people fully engaged with Jesus in our mission, then we, we are more than just a brain. <laughs> Although some, you know, People who are very much into the intellectual pursuit kind of think this thing's just a, a, a shell to carry their brain around in, right? But we are more than that. So you must engage in every way as human beings with uh, a growth in understanding. So really that means change. In many respects in our lives, we're called into a change, a form of changing. And does anyone believe that change is easy? Change is difficult, isn't it? It's hard to change. So I want to introduce us to a helpful concept. Well, I think it's helpful. And a good friend of mine introduced this to me back in Olympia, Washington. His name is Theo Yu, Y-U. And uh, what I love about this is uh, it, it helps me to think, reflect on myself and the way I understand things, the way that I can engage with change as I try and follow Jesus. And, and what's really compelling about it is this comes from a person who's done so many crazy things in his life. He's been everything from a police officer to like a security expert for, for an airline. Um, he's currently doing his PhD. He's a Chinese American, so he has a whole different view. He travels a lot. He's worked at the upper uh, ends of politics in Washington state with all the governor and everyone, all these kinds of amazing things, very sought after man. But he's also spent the past like 18 plus years working with the homeless in Olympia, Washington. So he's really been, uh, around people of all different kinds. Um, and so I find it, that's compelling about it too because he, it comes from a place of actually engaging in life, following Jesus in the world, all different kinds of people. Um, and it's called the circle of change. And I'm gonna show you a diagram of this. And so these are important because uh, we, we often, pretty much everybody, when they're engaging with change, they, they typically work out one of these areas. Some of us... It's the head, okay? It's all that knowledge. If I would know more, I'm always looking to know more. For some of us, it's emotion. It's feeling like I feel. That is where my change is happening. And it's the first thing I think about. Or it's hands, like we're a doer. Something happens, we're going, we're trying to figure out how to do something. So we go, just start working. Start putting hands to it. And then feet is really about a perspective. It's moving from here to here to see a different view of what it might be. And all of these four things are important. So I'm gonna encourage you to write it down. If you have a pen and there's a thing saying, here's something interesting on the worship guide, or grab a piece of paper, whatever, write this down. Um, I'm actually gonna get this tattooed. It's my next tattoo here. So if you forget to write it down, you know you'll be able to say, hey, grab what was that thing again? And I'll just be like, yeah, there you go, dude. 
Check it out. Because here's the thing. They, these uh, translate in, into several things. The first one had, like you said, intellect. The heart is emotion. Hands is action. And feet is perspective. It's, it's changing your perspective. And, and we all tend to operate in, in one of these more than the others. We've got to think about how these all fit in. Um, and one thing you may have noticed as well, apart from this mission statement, we talk about Jesus an awful lot in this church. It is the number one priority for us is to talk about Jesus. Um, and as always, Jesus is a wonderful example of someone, a human being, who engaged in all of these areas of life, of understanding, of knowledge, of change, uh, in every aspect. And I love how Acts begins because it's encapsulated in the very first words of this book that we're studying. We're taking a journey through the book of Acts. We're saying that it's God's story through the story of his earliest followers and there's something for us because it's our story too and we are invited into the story. And the central character of the story is Jesus. It's Jesus. So it begins, my dear, my former book Theophilus, that's the gospel of Luke. He's Luke, the writer, is writing to his friend Theophilus. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And all these four concepts are in this sentence. The first is obvious. The mind, what he began to teach. He taught. He explained. He gave knowledge. In fact, they said it was so amazing because he taught, not like the teachers of the law, but with great authority. It really connected uh, with the people. And they, they start to understand differently in their minds, their heads, they, the concepts that he taught. We're compelling. The heart, same thing, what he began to teach. And Jesus, oh, he taught on an emotional level. He cared so deeply about the things that he was teaching. There was emotion and passion. It says at one point he wept. This was no theoretical engagement or distance learning project. He was right there among the people and he cared so deeply for them. And I tell you, just he cares for you this morning. He cares for you. Hands, what he began to do, he acted. He taught through hands-on ministry to the most marginalized people. He was a man of action. In fact, the four gospels, if you read the gospel of Mark, it's all full of these really amazing things like uh, immediately he went and it's, it's full of these words of a dynamic story more than the other ones. But he was a man of action and feet, he began to do and teach. And that stands for Jesus, right? Jesus began to do and to teach. As far as perspective is concerned, who better than him to show what it means for a human being to have a wide perspective? He understood every culture, every person, every spiritual, physical, emotional need of every person. Not only that, he had a human, he was, his feet were firmly planted on earth, yet he had a divine perspective that colored and, and influenced everything he did. Talk about perspective. Jesus, the, the, the man who was also God in the flesh. So this is, this is our calling, to be like Jesus. So he had all these things, and more, more than you could ever mention. This little diagram, it just says the smallest tiny part about what it means to be a human engaging with God. And Jesus had them all. So here's the point to remember. Acts is a story of what Jesus continues to do through his people. What he continues to do. It started off... Last, my last book, I told you all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The implication being he continues to do and to teach, but now he does it through his church. 
And if we understand anything about the early church is that they were pretty clueless. They didn't really know what they were to do. They were growing in understanding. In fact, his followers, right before this whole time, the ones who were with him in the flesh, walking around, they didn't get it either. They had to grow in how they felt and how they thought and what they did and how they viewed the world. All four of these things were something they were called to grow in. The title of this message is, We Don't Know What We Don't Know. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Did you realize that? Does that sound obvious? It sounds really obvious, but I don't think we operate from that often. I think we often operate from a place of, um, we know all we need to know. I know all I need to know. I'm good. Or, what we don't know is not really that important or worth knowing. Or otherwise, we somehow forfeit the privilege and the responsibility of growing in our understanding and actually being changed by it. That's our call, be changed. Transformed by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus, to love people, to do good. I think some people think knowledge is a threat to their faith. If I was to engage in knowing more, I might, they might threaten my already tottering faith. <laughs> and that's not the case. It is essential. We must ever be learning what does it take? It's humility is what it takes first. That phrase, you don't know what you don't know, should produce in us a deep sense of humility. Uh, and, and, the, and the smartest people I've talked to are the people who most know that they don't know much. Because <laughs> they've learned so much. All it's done is given them a glimpse of the wonder of this creation of which they know only the tiniest part. And actually I find the people who know the least often act as if they think they know the most. There's a fear in that, a fear of not measuring up to some way that you are sufficient, you are knowledgeable, you speak with intelligence, whatever. And this text, I think it shows the importance of all four ways of changing through learning and experiencing. So we're getting to the word of God, you know, we're getting there, we've got 15 minutes left, we'll do it, okay? It's Acts 18, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 18, we're going to go verses 18 to 28. There's Bibles at the back of the room on a, uh, bookshelves over there. Help yourself to one if you need one and take it home if you don't have one. Uh, or you can get your holy phones out. <clears throat> I borrowed that from one of the young, young adults. And that's kind of cool, isn't it? Get your holy phone out. Um, unless it's an Android, in which case it's not holy. <laughs> but if it's a Mac, it's cool. Huh? Okay. So uh, beginning with verse 18, Paul stayed in, on in Corinth for some time. So he had been in, in Corinth and he was given a vision by God saying, you will not be harmed here, stay. So he stayed for at least a year and a half teaching. Uh, so he stayed on for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, <clears throat> pardon me, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, who were introduced to us uh, before this, uh, a couple who had been expelled from Rome. Jewish people, they're from the area of Pontus, northern Turkey now, and they, they had been in Rome and the Jews had been expelled because of some disturbance there. Um, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. And apparently he declined because the, the way of traveling then was by sail. And, and the way that the seasons were and the times, the winds were, were, were correct for that time to travel on with his journey. So it wasn't like he was just saying, no, you know, I'm not talking to you anymore. It was really a nautical thing and as far as travel. Um, so he said, but as he left, he promised I will come back if it is God's will. 
and then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So he's going back to where he's been, churches that were planted, going back and encouraging them. Continue on. God is with you. And and he is a, a, a tactile, flesh and blood person coming in and encouraging them because he has been learning and growing and he's now telling them what's been happening, that, that God is uh, working. And meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and talk about, talk to, taught about Jesus accurately, although he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. God's word is for us. So there are many examples uh, throughout this section that relate to this concept of growing and changing and learning all the way around this circle of change that I I, I showed you earlier. So start with Apollos. The text says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. What do we need to know about Apollos? Well, the first thing is he's a native of Alexandria. It's a very important place. It was a center uh, in the Egyptian region, the center of the Roman Empire. At that time, it had the largest Jewish population in the known world. Very important place. The Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament, was created in this place. This was a place of renown. Los Angeles, London, New York, Tokyo. At that time, this was a center of life, and in particular, Jewish life. Greek life, Roman life, the whole thing. Secondly, he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. It's the only time in the New Testament this phrase is used of anyone. It was of Apollos. He was a learned man. A thorough knowledge of the scriptures. You guys think you know your Bible? Now this guy would know. He knew the Old Testament, cover to, the Jewish scriptures, cover to cover. Or uh, beginning of the scroll to the end of the scroll. To be more accurate. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and talked about Jesus accurately. So he had an understanding of the, the Messiahship of Jesus. He had been taught this, he understood this and he, he relayed the information accurately that he had been told. Um, but there's something missing, something missing from his understanding. It says, though he knew only the baptism of John, that he was speaking boldly in the synagogue fervently speaking, though he knew only the baptism of John. So let's think about these two, two of the points in our diagram, mind and heart, mind and heart. So there was heart there. Apollos spoke fervently, boldly, with passion about Jesus. Yet, there was something missing that he didn't understand the full picture. So he had this sense of zeal and emotion, yet without a full understanding of the whole picture. What do you think about that? You know, sometimes when we exercise great emotion, passion, whatever it might be, whatever emotional thing you're pushing out into the world, um, but your understanding is flawed, this might be a problem. For some situations, it's not a problem. Okay, here we go. 
Ronald's not here this morning, my wife, okay? I, I often will speak excitedly of the time when Ron and I became married, but I often forget what date it was. <laughs> because my son was born on a sec, the 2nd of August and, and our, our anniversary the 4th of December. In my mind, I always get those mixed up. But it's not that big a deal, okay? Okay, Rana? It's not that big a deal. I'm excited, so if I get excited about my marriage, I'm, yeah, Roy, Rana, I love her so much. The day I married her was one of the best days of my life. And it was the 2nd of December. Oh, no, it wasn't. It's not that big a deal. No one's gonna die. Um, but the thing is, zeal based on error can be dangerous. It can be really, really dangerous of a lack of understanding, a fuller understanding of all these areas of head and heart and action and, and perspective and when they get out of balance that you don't understand. And there's a recent example. We mentioned last week the shooting at the synagogue and there was this article came out in the Washington Post which, which many, many Christians, particularly in the denomination from which this young man came, are taking very seriously because the manifesto that he wrote, if you read it, there are parts that every Bible-believing Christian from that denomination in particular, which is a reformed denomination, would wholeheartedly agree with. And part of this, this kid was really into doctrine, theology, but yet he didn't understand so much of uh, what was going on. And he ended up committing this terrible act. And we see it all over the place, zeal, passion, emotion. It can be really dangerous when we don't have a proper understanding, or at least open to having our understanding changed, developed, illuminated. It can lead to bad things when we say, this, this is it, and I'm acting on this, out of my emotions, my actions, my perspective. And I'm not saying that was a bad thing, but Paul, he wasn't gonna go kill anybody, Apollos, but yet, it says, he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. What does that mean? It means that he understood that Jesus was the Messiah that the Jews had waited for, but not understanding the baptism of John, which was a baptism for Jewish people, for repentance. The kingdom is coming. Repent and be baptized, you Jews. But he did not know the baptism of the Spirit. That was the fuller picture. This was about more than the Jewish people. This was about all of the world, all of the peoples of the world. John himself, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he knew only the baptism of John, not realizing the doors had been flung wide open. This is what this probably means. He didn't understand that there was a greater, wider, universal invitation into the kingdom of God. And that is possibly a problem when you get kind of a sectarian representation of the church would say, we are the chosen ones. Uh, and you can come, and you can come, and you can come, but you can certainly not come. But even, even more than that, not so much the negative side, the positive side, how much greater could his fervor be served by understanding the fuller picture of the radical grace and love of God who had promised in the scriptures of the Old Testament that all would come in, all would come in. So... It's amazing, they, what happens? Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they listened to him speaking and they invited him to their home, hospitality, and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So this couple intervene. They say, this man needs to understand a fuller picture. He's teaching accurately, but he needs to know more about this. And I think this is wonderful because he's a really learned man. 
But I think wise people know that they need to know more. <laughs> They're open to new information and to understanding and to learning. Because uh, Apollos knew the Old Testament. He would know in Proverbs it says this, that Proverbs 11.2 didn't have verses or chapters back then, but he would know this text. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And these people approached him as fellow believers in Jesus, fellow Jews as well, and they shared the information. The wise know that they don't know much, and Apollos knows this, and so he listens. And this is where feet come into the picture. Not literally. Scrap that. <laughs> I just couldn't resist it. This is where feet come into the picture. I'm kind of a literal person. No, it's the feet on the circle of change. And what feet stands for is perspective. You move your perspective to see something from a different position. In order to be able to grow and to change, you know, it's amazing. The Apostle Paul is doing this right now. He is now moving somewhat effortlessly, apart from an occasional stoning, between different worlds. He's moving into the world of his people, the Jews. Uh, he shaves his hair at this point, and, and people say it's because he probably took some kind of vow um, as an act of God. It's in the tradition of his people. But then he's moving into Gentile land, and he's saying, you guys don't need to keep the law, the dietary, or ceremonial laws of my people because you are set free by grace. And then he's moving into the Roman and Greek worlds, the pagan worlds, the Gentile worlds, and explaining things there. He's starting to do this thing. He can understand perspective. He actually says, I become can all things to all people that I might win some to Christ, to the Jews. I become Jewish to the Gentiles. I'm like a Gentile. And, and Apollos is, this is quite amazing because he actually does this. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla, their names are, are uh, it's, a, it's a, probably a husband and wife, but it's a, a woman and a man. And in this passage, when it talks about them teaching Apollos, Priscilla's name comes first, and that is significant. The woman's name comes first. They are genuinely a pair, a partnership of teachers who come to this Jewish man and share with him a fuller picture of who Jesus is in the world. That is quite remarkable. For a man from Alexandria, center of power, a learned man, to come to these two people who are from Pontus, which is like, if, you're, if you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a place in Washington State, Yelm, okay? Right, it's kind of like Yelm compared to like Seattle, right? It's, just, it's not really much to speak of. And... They were exiles, they'd been thrown out of Rome. Kind of, this is not a good thing. And then there were, even in the Jewish tradition, a woman teacher was not something that, that was gonna happen. But Apollos is wise enough to know that he needs to understand things from someone else's perspective because everything has been changing and he's open to the experience of listening at least. And it changes him. And then it moves to hands. What about hands? Well, it's clear that Apollos took the information that he had. He had fervor. He now had a greater understanding. He had a perspective that was different than the perspective he had probably had before. So now he wants to do something with it. It says, when Apollos wanted to go to Ikea, the brothers and sisters encouraged him. The brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. We affirm this man, he understands what's happening. He wants to go, he wants to come and serve and, and carry out the call that God has given him in his life 
to share the good news in Achaia. And when he arrived, he was great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. He went to his people and he engaged in conversation with them. His hope was that they would feel something new. They would understand and hear something new. They would see things from a different perspective and they would start to act in this new thing, the kingdom of God that promised life and joy and peace and no more division, that the Jewish and Gentile people were coming together as one in this new family with Christ as the head, the one in whom all things find their reconciliation. And so he goes and he preaches. A more adequate person for that which God has called him into his kingdom to carry out. So what about us? What are we to do? Put it into practice. What about the head? We're really good at this. Some of us don't need more knowledge. I've heard Christians described as like sponges, constantly taking in more information, but yet seldom doing anything with it. And I've been very guilty of that. I love to think, I love to read, I love to store up all kinds of things in my head. And it, but it's, and it is important. We are to add knowledge into our understanding. So small groups, that's the place where we can understand things. The financial health class, you know, we haven't had that many people sign up for it. And I'm, I feel, feel that's really a, a kind of a, a disappointing thing because I think we all could use it. <laughs> I'm going, my wife and I are going, um, because I want to understand that which I don't know. And I think the people that are doing this have information that will only help me to become a better steward of what I have, therefore, someone more able uh, to enjoy this life God has given me because I'm able to be generous, I'm able to uh, have a good sense of what this is all about, money and, and, and this world that we live. And so I'd encourage you to sign up for it. I'm gonna ask some people specifically, just see if you can wriggle out of it. Quick, think of something you're doing next Saturday. I'm kidding. Oh, you're going to financial health class. Awesome, I'll see you there. Uh, within the next three weeks, we're going to have some books. I've been talking, I've been threatening this for a while, but within the next few weeks, we're going to do this. There's certain books that have been extremely powerful on certain subjects for me and for others. I've asked a few people. For example, Chris Neal is a, very much a, an expert on, on a lot of uh, family issues and things. And, and so we're going to have a display either in here or back there with a little blurb on each one explaining what is, why this book's important, what you can learn from it, uh, what might trip you up a little bit, so things to watch out for. Um, and that's going to be a resource for us to use our heads. What about heart? How can we think about this as a place to change? I'd ask, what do you feel most animated about? What gets you all hot and bothered or even angry or joyful? Whatever that place is that gets you most riled up, I would say, make sure you have all the facts and make sure you're open to more. Make sure you're open to listening and learning because zeal without knowledge can be dangerous. If you're strongly emotional about something, you need to be, particularly in that area, learning as widely and deeply as you can because especially if you're attaching Jesus' name to your emotion or your zeal and you don't know all the facts or you're thinking, what I know is what I know, it's all I need to know or the rest is not worth knowing, I'd say that can be dangerous. Hands, basically, we need to put our understanding into practice. 
If you understand something, you are now responsible to do it. If you understand something, you are now responsible. If you have faith and no works, James says, then your faith is not worth very much. Faith without works is is dead. Rich Mullins said uh, that it's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Faith without works, it just ain't happening. He said baby in there as well. Baby, okay. Feet. How are we to love people if we don't intentionally nurture relationships with people, other people? How do we love people if we don't intentionally nurture relationships with people, especially people who are not like us? You cannot love that which you do not know. Don't say you love blank if you don't know any blanks. Because how can you possibly love that which you do not know? So we've got to find ways. Think about those who are maybe most unlike you, different perspective. Try to walk a mile in their shoes, their shoes before you criticize them. Because then when you do, you'll be a mile away and you'll have their shoes. No, but that, that's, that is saying is true. Try and understand from their perspective or at least listen deeply to what they say so you understand what they're saying before you criticize it. This stuff's important because we say we stand for truth. Truth's a big thing. We only know the smallest part of it, but we should be growing to understand and we don't need to be threatened by it. Um, It's a couple of quotes. Uh, Rachel Held Evans, quite a progressive Christian writer, She died on Saturday, yesterday, at the age of 37 after a flu, and then she had a reaction to antibiotics, and uh, they put in her induced induced coma, but she didn't come out of it, and she died. Um, And I don't agree with all of her doctrine, but I find her writing to be really, really helpful to me, because some of the things that I need to hear, she says very strongly. And, And this fits well. Faith isn't about having everything figured out ahead of time. Faith is about following the quiet voice of God without having everything figured out ahead of time. And then N.T. Wright, you know, there's actually no one you could quote in a church that someone won't go, I'm not sure about him. So let's just get over the whole heresy hunting because like there's a lot of really, really good Christian folks who are serving and, and, and praying and sacrificing and they don't think quite like we do or I do. But there's much to be learned from our brothers and sisters of different perspectives. N.T. Wright said this, Luke offers us no set pattern for the way in which people come step by step into the full participation in all the possibilities that are thereby open to them. Sometimes it happens this way, sometimes that. Just as humans grow to maturity at different paces and some make greater strides in one area while others have to catch up later, so it seems to be in the church. What matters is that we are open, ready to learn even from unlikely sources and prepared for whatever God has to reveal to us through the scriptures, the apostolic teaching and the ongoing and always unpredictable common life of the believing family. That's us. Rona and I again, Rona's not here today. So when we first came back to faith like 1998-99, like I just latched on so quick to everything I was being taught and I left her in the dust. She would tell you that. But so much of it was just head knowledge. I knew everything now, and I would tell anyone who was cared to listen to it. And finally, I had to get to the point where I realized that what my wife was experiencing was different. But it was so essential for me to listen to her in order to balance and hone what it was that I was learning. 
And I have learned over time to do that, and she is one of the most important people in my life because of that very thing, that she will speak into the, the gaps in my understanding or the, the misplaced zeal of my passion. We need each other. We need to be honest with each other. We, don't need to, we should not be afraid to get it wrong, to be in error. We need to have a place here where we can feel safe to discuss what we think and have those thoughts sharpened, deepened um, by one another. We're gonna move into communion now and I'm asking the worship team to come up. As we respond, we're having communion this morning. Yay! It's my favorite week of the year. We just do it once a year here. No, I'm kidding. But you know, um, this is a learning experience. Think about it. What do we understand Head, what do you understand about what we do now? It's that Christ took bread and he took wine and he, he completely recontextualized the whole Passover story of a release from slavery into freedom. And he said, through me, this freedom will now come to all people. It is a place of heart, whether that is sorrow over the cost uh, that, that was required to pay for my sin, which I live with every day and so do you the broken places that we create in the world, um, or joy that now this penalty has been taken from me and I am accepted completely by a loving Father who is for me, with me. You're never gonna let me go, never gonna let me down. You are good. Or what about hands and feet? We come from this table. We come to the table. We physically are receiving but then we go out and we want to see other people receive the same grace that we have received. And that takes action. That takes acts of service, kindness, so they know that it's love that we're showing them. Just a merely a hug will not do it or rescuing all the cats in San Dimas. It's got to look like love to the people that we're attempting to love. And then perspective. Wow, this is the big one. Whew. You know, Jesus on, uh, on that night before he washed his disciples' feet, he said, knowing that his time was, had come um, and that Satan had entered into the heart of, of Judas Iscariot, he now showed them the extent of his love and he took a bowl and he took a towel and he washed their feet. So he had this sense of heaven and the goal to which he was go heading, the glory to come, but the death through which he must pass, but he was right there with his friends. That's the perspective. We are feet firmly planted on this earth, but we understand there is a bigger reality uh, that, is, that is rushing in towards us as we rush towards it. And this is a taste of that kingdom to come.